hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. Great music. Great afternoon. Wonderful to be with you here. And today we are continuing our discussion of crime and consequence. Specifically today, we're going to tackle the matter of confessions. You see, the Torah says, justice, justice shall you pursue. And the question we're looking at today is that justice may be blind, but judges and juries in the case of the states and other places where juries are used have to be really clear-sighted. And so today we are going to explore the concept of evidentiary standards as it arises throughout the Talmud and comparing it with secular law. Of course, those who came to our JLI courses yesterday, we had a very exciting course and watched a film about a particularly hot-button topic in the United States related to this particular matter. But today we are short of time and we'll only discuss some of the contrasts between secular law and halacha in this matter. And of course, I want to invite all listeners to join us on Wednesdays, either Wednesday morning at 9.45 a.m. at Chabad Savoy, or Wednesday evenings at Santon Central Shul, Chabad's Goodness and Kindness Center, where you could join us for not only a fascinating discussion, but we've got PowerPoint presentations, we give you handouts with all the texts to follow with appropriately and It's interactive. You get to share your opinion and perspective and also the videos that bring these legal and halachic matters to life by watching actual cases that have happened that have occurred in recent history and see how the law applies specifically to those cases. And so you get to follow along properly. So today we're going to look at how can we assess the truth of any testimony? Does every criminal confession pass muster or are some inadmissible? And if we have time, we'll look at when can informants be considered credible or are they ever? Now, one of the specific cases we explored yesterday was related to confessions. Can confessions be relied upon as evidence? That's the first question. And simply speaking, there seems to be a great value in the justice system to getting a confession. If you could extract a confession out of a criminal, that would be fabulous. Let's think of some of the benefits to it. Firstly, it seems like the best evidence possible. Why would anyone confess to a crime which they actually never committed? Secondly, because criminals often act on their own, confessions can sometimes be the only way to solve the crime, to achieve a conviction, as many prosecutors like to do, because it looks good on their resumes that they did so. And of course, that is their job to stop crime. So when you get a criminal confessing, admitting to a particular crime that they committed, it's much easier to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Two more points before we take our break. The third point is, when a suspected criminal confesses to their particular crime, then they can be convinced to actually sign a plea, a plea bargain deal, which is commonly used here and in the States. And of course, the benefit of that is that it saves the government, it saves the state a lot of money, a lot of resources necessary for a lengthy trial. And of course, it is beneficial to the criminal as well. So when we're back, we're going to discuss the cons of this matter and to see why and if the Torah accepts 
or when the Torah accepts confessions. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 High FM. And ladies and gentlemen, we've been discussing evidence, confessions, according to the law, it seems like a really great thing. And in fact, based on what we've been saying, that number one, we said it's the best evidence possible. Number two, it's the, really a great way to solve a crime. And number three, it saves resources. Well, for these reasons, confessions have almost universally been considered a very important part of judicial systems globally. You think about ancient Greece, Rome, China, Japan, India, throughout the medieval era, all the way until our time, confessions are considered what they say the queen of evidence. Now, precisely because confessions are seen as so effective in solving crimes, that's why they're vulnerable to abuse. And in the past, torture has been used in many times to extract, a con- to, to obtain confessions from people. That was really one of the big problems. You think about the barbaric heights in, during the Inquisition, when torture was used, and many other times, and in recent times, of course, we have rights. Criminals are given their rights, and certainly torture is no longer considered an optimal way of dealing with criminals. Now, obviously, of course, aside from the moral repugnance of torture, people will admit to anything to spare themselves from torture, and that includes crimes they actually never committed. So the person would rather die or be sitting in jail, whatever it might take, rather than being tortured. And of course, this obviously causes that many people will confess falsely to things they never committed. And due to the great legal value of a confession, though, there have been new interrogative methods. But even still, it might not be physical torture, even though that can be done offshore. For example, the United States does this in Guantanamo Bay. But there is psychological pressure and various tactics, some of them being on par with... Um, with really torturous ways, methods that perhaps aren't physically torturesome, but psychologically are. And this, of course, may induce confessions from criminals, sometimes even those who didn't commit an offense. And so that is regarding criminal confessions. Now, that uh, that is obviously a serious issue. And in the United States, when they looked at many of the wrongful convictions of people who eventually, with time, it was realized that they were falsely convicted of a particular crime, 27% of them was based on giving false confessions or admitting to crimes that they never committed. Then there's another factor, which is also important, and considering the minimal time we've got remaining, and that deals with the testimony of cooperating witnesses. So, if it's given as part of a plea deal of sorts, or perhaps even incentivized testimony against a fellow prison inmate, the question is, 
if one is faced with informant testimony, how do we treat it? Can we evaluate it based on whether the informant appears reliable? How do you determine if they are reliable? And so that's our second question that we dealt with this week. And we're going to look at it now from a Torah perspective and see how far, how much we could cover. You see, when I've said earlier that confessions were used almost universally and oftentimes with torture, you notice I said almost universally. Because there's one legal system that actually never allowed for torture confessions. And in fact, it banned confessions in capital and corporal cases altogether. And that I'm referring to is the Torah system. You see, there is a verse in the Torah that says, which means that the only matter away a matter can be clarified in a capital case, in a capital crime or a corporal crime, is with two or more witnesses. And Maimonides discusses this and tells us why is it that we won't accept a admission, a confession from a criminal. And he tells us firstly because it's a scriptural decree. It is divinely ordained. It is God Almighty's Torah. Hashem says so and that's all. But he also gives us two reasons, a logical reason. Perhaps one is mentally disturbed and therefore they might confess to something they actually never did. Another reason he says is that perhaps a person is suicidal. They want to die and lethal injection or electrocution or stoning is better to them than running in front of a bus. So Maimonides gives both reasons. And he tells us the reason why he gives both is because ultimately we follow the Torah because God Almighty said so. That's all. We do it because God said so, whether we understand it or not. Just like on Valentine's Day, you might not understand if you're a man why flowers are so touching to your Valentine, to your better half. But you think maybe it's better to get tickets to the cricket game. Nevertheless, if this is something that makes her happy, and if this is what God decrees, this is what we do. Of course, there might be a logical reason, and it's worth understanding the logical reasons for all commandments in the Torah. But Maimonides tells us at the end of the day, we clearly understand that this is what God decreed. Now, there are exceptions, and the exception specifically is that this only applies to criminal cases. That means laws, there are 36 specific crimes in the Torah that if one violates them, they would get the death penalty. Only in those specific 36 cases, as well as those that are related to corporal punishment, such as anything that would get one malchus or any kind of physical harm, in those cases, again, one's confession would not be accepted. In what cases would a confession be accepted? Well, we'll talk about that next, as soon as we're back. Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. We've been talking about the specific case of confession. 
self-incriminating testimony that a person might give about a crime they committed. And we said from a Torah perspective, we will not accept it in a case of, in a case of criminal. Of, uh, for example, where the law would be an execution or corporal punishment. However, in civil cases, for example, financial fraud, theft, then Jewish law does accept one's confession. Why is that? Well, the Talmud tells us that when it comes to our finances, our money is considered to belong to ourselves, and therefore we could do with our money as we please. Whatever you want to do with your money, you want to spend it, well, therefore, it's considered if a person confesses, even if they didn't commit the crime, they want to squander their money paying for a crime they didn't commit. Talmud says, in that case, it might be acceptable, but never with our bodies. With our bodies, we're not going to risk it. The Torah is so risk-adverse when it comes to one's body, and therefore, confessions are hardly ever accepted. Only two valid, qualified kosher witnesses in a case of capital punishment or even corporal punishment the witnesses had to have seen the event, the incident, had to have warned the criminal of what he's doing or what she's doing wrong. The criminal had to have acknowledged the warning and then committed the crime nonetheless. Only in those cases will the testimony of two valid qualified kosher witnesses be acceptable, admissible for capital punishment. Because otherwise, our bodies are entrusted to us by God, and therefore we're obligated to take care of them the best way possible. And therefore the Sanhedrin, the Basin, will never, or will hardly ever, I should say, because there are certain exceptional cases, will hardly ever accept one's testimony about themselves. And because a confessing offender has no right to subject themselves to physical harm, to punishment of that sort, therefore we don't accept self-incriminating testimony and it is it is not ever accepted in halacha. However, there are certain exceptions, what we call tzorach an emergency law clause, which in certain limited circumstances, which again, no time to discuss in a radio show, but if you come to the shir, we'll discuss at a greater length when confessions can be accepted. And it's only when actually supported by corroborating evidence that of course is a matter that we discuss at greater length in the course material and uh, you would have to be present to understand it. Now, the matters also talk about regarding incentivized confessions. And there the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Cairo, the author, the Mechaber, draws a distinction between specific types of cases. And he says, when a suspect is offered an incentive to admit a specific crime, then the confession, he says, is not considered credible because it's possible that it was given due to the incentive. For example, reduced time in jail, early release, whatever other types of plea bargains that are oftentimes offered to criminals. But if the interrogators offer incentives for the confession of any crimes committed without specifying what the particular case was, then perhaps it could be accepted. Again, it's a matter that we discuss in greater detail at the course. Another aspect is the Torah's practical guidance regarding confessions, which could be a little bit complicated, but basically we'll say as follows. Suspects can be asked freely, without any threats, without any incentives, whether they committed a specific crime. And if they confess, and there's some corroborating evidence supporting their confession then we could accept it as credible evidence. Another specific rule 
a guideline would be that investigators should choose to offer suspects incentives in a general way, not specifically about the crime that they're trying to investigate. They should ask them to confess about whatever crimes they may have ever committed. And if they confess to a particular crime, especially the one that they are trying to get details on, then we could consider such a confession actually credible. Of course, this would only be an option if the suspect wouldn't be able to discern the reason why they're being questioned. If they don't try to, so to say, pull that information from them, extract it very specifically. The third guideline is, if those options that we discussed aren't successful, then interrogators could use more direct incentives to try to solicit a specific confession. But the confession itself would most likely not be useful as evidence, but it could be used as a tool for uncovering other more conclusive details of the crime committed. And finally, to ensure that all these guidelines are actually adhered to, a Torah-based approach would support actual government legislation requiring all interrogations to be recorded. Because when a matter is recorded, think about how much, how much more careful the interrogators investigating a particular case are with the methods that they use. Now, when we get to Jewish law, we try to avoid biased testimony. When you talk about testimony coming from incentives or cooperating witnesses, oftentimes their ulterior motive is to get out of jail early or whatever other plea bargain they're offered. And therefore, we got to be very careful because oftentimes such people are criminals themselves. And halachically speaking, we cannot take the testimony of a thief, of a person who's unreliable. And so it would be highly questionable. And of course, it's a matter that we discuss in greater detail at our course, because even under that emergency law clause, when you come to biased testimony, it's not something we could really rely on. Nevertheless, incentivized testimonies could be, like we said before, valuable as an investigative tool. Maybe it can help uncover more evidence, more details of a particular crime. And finally, the practical suggestions that we discussed, there are a variety of them, but let's just recap the basis of today's lesson, and I invite you to join us next week for a powerful discussion on how to the position that the Torah takes on rehabilitation. How do we deal with criminals? Can all wrongs be righted? Can a criminal make amends? Are some criminals beyond repair? If you're curious about that, then join us next week where we're going to delve into the topic of teshuva, very important within Judaism, but how it could be applied to the secular justice system. Can anyone be rehabilitated? Can anyone make amends for whatever things they've done wrong? So, quickly recapping the points of today's discussion. Firstly, Jewish law doesn't accept confessions as evidence in criminal cases. We consider it possible that, as Maimonides says, maybe a person has mental illness or they're suicidal, and therefore self-confessions for cases of criminal cases where there would be execution or corporal punishment are unacceptable. In civil cases that we discussed, then perhaps Jewish law would accept confessions. For example, in monetary cases, whether it's fraud or theft, that would be more acceptable. 
and we discuss lots of other details related to evidence in the Torah. But my dear friends, the time indeed has come for us to wish you a meaningful and purposeful Shabbos. Carpe Diem just sees every moment you've got, and indeed there are so many Torah classes available in town. So take the opportunity, attend one of them. You could join us on Wednesday for JLI, the Jewish Learning Institute, where we discuss various matters related to crime and its consequences. And like I said, next week we're discussing on Wednesday the clean slate How do criminals make amends? What's the ultimate aim of the criminal justice system, which we've previously discussed as penitence that a person should make amends? Join us on Wednesday for a meaningful discussion about that. Until then, Shabbat Shalom. Have a great weekend and enjoy the news right up next.